Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor-in-chief of the New Books Network. And the following episode is being republished from the Canadian Medical Association Journal's podcast series. CMAJ's podcasts are just terrific. I listen to a lot of them. They concern medicine and society, clinical practices. They have interviews with doctors, interviews with scholars on new books concerning medicine, the history of medicine, the practice of medicine, Pretty much everything somebody interested in healthcare might be curious about. They're extremely well produced, very professional, and I highly recommend them to you. To find CMAJ's podcasts, what you need to do is just go to Google and type in CMAJ and podcasts, and that will take you right there. And I encourage you to subscribe. I hope you enjoy the following interview. I'm Dr. Dorian Deschauer, Associate Editor for the Canadian Medical Association Journal. Today, we have for you the first episode in a series called Philosophers on Medicine. Jonathan Fuller is the host for this special series. He has a doctorate degree in philosophy of medicine and is also a graduating medical student at the University of Toronto. In this episode, Jonathan Fuller chats with Alex Broadbent. Professor of Philosophy at the University of Johannesburg. They ask a fundamental question of relevance to all medical experts. Exactly what do we mean when we talk about medicine? Dr. Alex Broadbent wrote an accompanying humanities article published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal. We hope you enjoy this conversation. What is medicine? That question certainly has the stereotypical ring of a paradigmatic philosophical problem yet surprisingly few contemporary philosophers have devoted sustained attention to it. Nonetheless, potentially underlying the question, what is medicine, are problems concerning the goals of medicine, about medical expertise, and about what counts as health and what counts as disease, problems that determine the very scope of medicine and medical practice. So perhaps it's time to get paradigmatically philosophical about medicine. Today's consultation is with philosopher Alex Broadbent, professor of philosophy at the University of Johannesburg. Alex Broadbent, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. The title of this podcast is What is Medicine? So what is medicine in your view? I think that to answer that question, you need to answer several other questions. You need to say what health is. Uh, You need to say what diseases are, which is a separate question because we have different kinds of disease. And so disease can't merely be the absence of health because you can't have different kinds of an absence Um, I think you need to say what the goals of medicine are. And then fourthly and finally, I think you need to say what skill it is that the medical profession has that distinguishes it from the skills of other professions and from the efforts of well-meaning non-medics, you know, mopping who mop your brow and bring you cups of tea and so forth when you're sick. I don't know uh, finally what medicine is, but I have a view on on each of those. And if you put those views together, I think you have a, a, a view about what medicine is. We're going to touch on some of those components today. But first, why is this question of what medicine is even a philosophical question to begin with? 
Well, it's partly not. Partly it's a historical question. And one of the, perhaps the first thing I should have said is that the way I think about medicine, you know, medicine is medicine. <laughs> uh, it sounds like a silly thing to say, but I don't think that one can sit around as a philosopher and just set up necessary sufficient conditions on the basis of one's intuitions. I think medicine is is something that has occurred in all societies since humans stopped wandering the plains and settled and, and formed agricultural societies, which happened in most parts of the world between twelve and 10,000 years ago, with some nomadic societies persisting up until the present day, but, but generally doing uh, you know, in much smaller numbers and, and not, not I mean, doing less well in a population-wide way. Um, the responsibility for health in those sorts of nomadic groups tended to be collective. They were you know, groups of 30 to 40, no more than that. Um, it was a collective concern if somebody fell ill. And they, there isn't much evidence that, 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 that such groups had specialized doctors of any kind. But when uh, agriculture came, came along, and the other thing is that those groups w- would often abandon their sick um, because the group had to move. And when somebody's sick, they can't move. But when agriculture came along, that, that changed, and you started to get divisions of roles, and you started to get people who were specifically responsible for health. And they often tended to be you know, c- combined with religious uh, leaders, um, the roles have you know, been, been together. So this is, you know, medicine is something that has existed, you know, in that recognizable form for, for you know, at least 10,000 years. And it continues in many different societies um, today, in many different parts of the world, in huge variety. And even if you just look at, you know, what I call mainstream medicine, which is the now global tradition that descends from Western Europe originally, even that is not at all monolithic. It's practiced incredibly differently in different parts of the world. And this raises a question, well, what do all these, in, in some cases, astoundingly different practices have in common that makes us call them all medicine? So, and that is a philosophical question, but it's 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 about looking for something that is in common between all these uh, various things that we see, and yet which we see as being instances of the same thing, namely medicine. What have philosophers had to say about the question, what is medicine? In my view, not as much as you might expect. There have been some things written on the relationship between medicine and morality, you know, whether doctors have certain kind of duties, whether medicine has an internal morality. And in that context, there's been some some writing on the goals of medicine. But to my knowledge, there hasn't been a kind of big picture sitting back and saying, you know, what, what, what is this thing called medicine? And that's partly because philosophers of medicine in the 20th century have tended to confine their attention to the medicine that goes on in hospitals in Europe and even and in America. And even there have tended to do so in a way that's quite unrealistic and, and there's almost a pretense that, that, you know, that this is just a monolithic thing and that medicine is just one thing. And, and even, as I say, in, in the context of, you know, mainstream medicine, that just isn't the case. There's still dramatic variation in the way it's practiced in different places. So as a consequence of that, they haven't been troubled by trying to see what different practices might have in common because they've been working with the idea that there is just one practice that's, that's mono, fairly monolithic. Sometimes we distinguish between scientific medicine and various oppositions, complementary medicines or whatnot, non-Western medicine. What is this category, scientific medicine? Well, historically, scientific medicine came about in the 19th century, and it was a specific clinical approach which prioritized physically observable over accounts from the patient. The, the medical tradition that had been present before, the Hippocratic tradition, um, uh, was all about the patient, and the doctor was prized for having a good bedside manner, 
and for you know asking shrewd questions, for having a great memory, and so forth. And this changed and became almost. Uh, I mean, it was quite shocking to people because it required you know physical, direct physical examinations that breached the norms of what would normally be allowed. And this is still the case. You know, people will allow doctors to do things to them that really they wouldn't allow anyone except their sexual partners to do. Um, they'll, you know, they'll take off all their clothes and so forth if the doctor requires it. And the reason for this is that the doctor is trying to access the disease directly. And the patient and the patient's account is almost seen as kind of a veil between the physician and the disease. And the doctor's looking for physical symptoms of the disease. So in a clinical context, that's what scientific medicine uh, meant, or meant. And um, from a kind of research point of view or, or a scientific point of view, um, the reason for this clinical approach was to enable the doctor to connect with scientific knowledge about the way the body works and then use that knowledge to treat the disease. In more recent times, that emphasis on scientific knowledge about how the body works has been replaced by scientific knowledge about how certain treatments affect certain populations. So the kind of scientific knowledge that's, that now is brought into play is different, it's changed from being an emphasis on uh, biological knowledge uh, of the human body and anatomical knowledge and physiological knowledge to being an emphasis on knowledge of the results of trials and studies. But that difference is a fairly recent one and most actual medical practice still relies primarily, in fact, relies primarily on the physiological anatomical knowledge. And what about this related idea of a Western medical tradition? Is that a coherent thing to say, to describe some sort of Western medical tradition to trace medicine's roots in the West back to, let's say, the Greeks? I think it is. I mean, I think there is a, you know, it does make sense, as with much of, of Western thought, it does make sense to trace it back to the Greeks. The route that it took is, is a little more circuitous than I think people normally realize. I mean, in particular, Western medicine only survives because it went ultimately from Greece into the into the Islamic world in the European Dark Ages and was translated and in, in there into various Islamic languages and then developed and then was imported back in the 12th century or so. And I think that's not often understood that there was this connection with the Islamic world there uh, in the Western tradition. And I think the you know the the, the, the the claims that people make about you know certain Hippocrates having said this or having said that you know Hippocrates clearly was a person, but we know, you know, really nothing about him. And it's pretty clear that the people who wrote his, you know, there was an authorial group that wrote the various texts that were attributed to him. So historically, it does make sense to, to trace back to ancient Greece, but the details of how that tracing goes are often much more complicated than I normally thought. I do, however, think that now uh, it doesn't really make sense to call it Western medicine because of the fact that it's globalized so extensively. I think that what was Western medicine is really better called mainstream medicine. And the reason for that is that it enjoys really unparalleled levels of support from states around the world. It's developed and it, it progresses around the world. Um, it enjoys a unique reputation for effectiveness. Uh, it's perceived as being uniquely effective. And you know, it, it does have a special place among medical traditions. And I don't think that it's particularly any longer associated with the West, even if it does or originate there. Contemporary scientific or mainstream medicine is quite different in a lot of ways from ancient Greek medicine. Why do we call these two kinds of practices medicine? Well, it's a good question. I think one of the reasons that we call practices medicine has to do with what we think doctors are able to do. And what I think doctors do 
is they engage in an inquiry into the nature of the causes, the nature and the causes of disease. Um, both the Hippocratics and contemporary doctors engage in that inquiry. If you go and see a doctor, they're going to try and find out what's wrong with you. And that was the case, and it is the case. And they may come up with very different answers, but that fundamentally is what they're going to offer you. They may be able to cure you, but they may not. But even if they don't cure you, that's their first goal. They're going to be engaging in an inquiry into what's wrong with you. So that's what uh, doctors do. Is it a separate question to ask about the goals of medicine? I think it is. And I think that it's very hard to deny that among the goals of medicine, curing is paramount. I don't think we would have medicine if we didn't want to get rid of sickness. I don't know if that's the only goal. And I don't mean to say that in every single medical interaction that is the goal or anything like that. But I think we, we probably also want to attain understanding from medicine and we also want to attain uh, predictive knowledge. We want to know what's going to happen to us. So, so those are also goals of medical practice. Um, I think all three of them are goals. I think that the goals of attaining understanding and attaining predictive knowledge are achieved much more commonly than the goals of cure. I mean, ultimately, we all die. And ultimately, most of those people would prefer not to. Um, but medicine, nonetheless, explains to us what's going on, helps prepare, and so forth. So is then what you're saying that among the goals of medicine, what doctors are really good at is this ability to understand and to predict, broadly speaking? Yeah, their understanding far outstrips curative ability. And predictive knowledge, likewise, you know, a good experienced clinician is likewise able to tell you what's going to happen to you, even in cases where they can't cure you. You know, there, and there are many, many cases still in contemporary mainstream medicine. You know, there are lots of cancers and so forth that we're not able to do a great deal about. But there are, there are also, uh, you know, common things, back pain of various kinds, um, slip discs and so forth, uh, you know, depression and anxiety and so forth. We, we can do some things about them, but we can't universally in all cases do something about them. But nonetheless, we still have people who are experts in these fields and their expertise, therefore, can't be in curative ability if they're not always good at that. So I'm suggesting that their expertise lies in their ability to provide understanding and, and, to, and to predict What's, what's going on? And then, you know, things like the common cold. You don't, in for these things, you don't actually necessarily expect the doctor to be able to cure you. You expect the doctor to be able to maybe give you a cough syrup or something. But that really isn't the same thing as, as a cure. It's just that we've become used to, in certain cases, not expecting more than that. So there are other professionals that a person might go to during their lifetime in order to seek understanding and prediction. They might go to a lawyer to help them understand their legal situation and predict what might happen if they take a case to court. Um, so what would distinguish physicians from lawyers then? It has to do with the topic that they are trying to get understanding and knowledge, predictive knowledge of, which is health and disease. So uh, you know, medicine is concerned with health and disease. And that's the area in which the doctors, you know, the physicians or the medical profession as a whole is expert at offering understanding. There are lots of philosophical debates about concepts of health and disease that go back quite some time now. And there doesn't seem to be a consensus definition among philosophers, perhaps not surprisingly. Um, how important is answering this question from a philosophical perspective? What is health and what is disease in order to understand the, the nature of medicine? Do we have to come up with an answer to those questions before we can really get at what medicine is and what it does? Ultimately, we do need to understand what health and disease are if we're going to understand what medicine is. Yes. And it doesn't mean that that's the first or the only question. I think 
all all four of the things I mentioned, uh, understanding health, understanding disease, understanding the goal of medicine, and understanding the skill or competence that medicine has, you need to understand all four of those things. I don't think any of them is, is prior to the others, really. And in all four cases, we have some intuitive grasp, so we can work on one of them without having solved the other. But ultimately, yes, we do need to understand what health and disease are if we're going to really understand what medicine is. So you've laid out a few dimensions. So mainstream medicine might have its particular competencies, goals, understanding of health and disease. In what ways do alternative medicines differ along that spectrum? Well, they all often have different answers to the questions of what health and disease are in the first place from the answer that mainstream medicine tends to have. I think that one of the reasons that alternative medicines persist, even if they do have some effectiveness, it's very hard, I think, to argue that they have the kind of dramatic effectiveness that mainstream medicine has displayed in the last 70 years or so. But the reason that they persist nonetheless, I think, is that they're probably answering to some of the other needs that mainstream medicine is answering less well. And I think those relate to our understanding of what's going on. You know, understanding is relative to a question, to a why question, why is this happening, um, what's happening, and how is it happening, and so forth. And depending which question you ask, uh, you know, a different answer is going to be appropriate. Yet the questions that mainstream medicine asks are notoriously very circumscribed in scope. They're very, very, it's very, very narrow scope. It's about, you know, physical lesions in the, in the physical body. Uh, you know, it's biological. It's even, you know, people have uh, spiritual and emotional needs and so forth. And many, many alternative medicines offer explanations that are partly answers to questions, you know, like, why me? You know, how does this relate to what, you know, what else is going on in my life and so forth? And they purport to answer offers uh, to, to offer answers there in a way that mainstream medicine simply won't even countenance the question. So I think that's part of what's going on there. But also the needs that alternative medicine is answering, you know, they may you know, there may be some sort of spiritual needs and so forth. But but it's not just sort of the spiritual, so to speak, that's excluded by mainstream medicine. It's it's even quite natural things like you know, social context. So even other medical disciplines outside of clinical medicine, such as social epidemiology, criticize medicine for ignoring things that we know affect health, like income level, uh, you know, race, gender, and so forth. Um, so, you know, there are many questions that mainstream medicine simply doesn't even purport to offer an answer to. And, you know, we, we, we look for answers uh, to those questions, I suggest, because we expect medicine to be able to give us understanding. I think alternative medicine probably also often has different conceptions of what the goals of medicine are. As I said, it may be more holistic, thinking of health as a, as a whole person thing. And that's very attractive intuitively. You know, Western medicine did used to think of health as a whole person thing. Hippocratic medicine saw disease as an individual affliction of a whole person and did not primarily discriminate between different kinds of disease. I mean, that did come later, but conceptually diseases were caused by imbalances in the individual person and so each disease was a personal thing and that has a huge amount of intuitive appeal to people because you know what one 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 experiences it that way and if the goal of a medical tradition is to you know fix the whole person then that that's obviously going to be very very uh, appealing so i think yeah, there are going to be differences in all of those things you provided several potential loci at which we could have debates about the scope of medicine. So one way to have these debates is, well, if we've settled on the goal of medicine as being in some way to understand, predict, and treat 
um, disease and promote health, then you could ask, well, what is disease and health? Then we can expand and contract those understandings to include, for instance, social determinants of health and social circumstances more generally, or we can contract those definitions as well and, and lessen the scope of medicine. And likewise, if we settle on, a, on an understanding of what health is and what disease is, then we can debate about the goals of medicine, whether it need just be promoting health or whether promoting well-being, some other concept might be among the legitimate goals of medicine. Is that right? So in other words, can we understand a lot of debates about what should and should not fall under the realm of medical practice as being debates about these various different dimensions uh, of what counts as medicine? I think that's right, yes. Uh, people have different conceptions of what medicine is, and that leads to quite sometimes vitriolic disputes about uh, what should or should not be covered under a health insurance scheme, what what should or should not be the objectives of development of drugs. You know, if one has a notion where disease is, you know, a, a physical malfunction of some kind which causes identifiable problems for a person and then has the view that the business of medicine is to treat diseases, then one is going to take an unsympathetic view to some doctor who prescribes, say, an antidepressant to somebody who doesn't have depressive disorder, but you know, the doctor can see that it will help that person deal with, you know, a stressful job or whatever it might be. And, and that gets heavily, that kind of thing gets heavily criticized as medicalization. It also gets very commonly done because doctors don't actually see their roles like that. The Hippocratic tradition remains very strong uh, in, in general practice in many cases. And doctors will often see their role as basically helping the patient with their life in a much more general kind of way. So you get these kind of disputes between people who say, look, there's over-prescription, there's over-medicalization, and yeah, they're probably right in some part. Uh, there is, no doubt, over-prescription, over-medicalization, unnecessary worry, unnecessary cost, and perhaps harm being done by more use of drugs than there should be. But there is also the use of drugs to make life better for people in a way that is only problematic if you think that one shouldn't be using drugs to make life better for people, you should only be using it to treat diseases, and diseases are understood in this very black or white way, where it's, it's either either there's something physically wrong with you or there isn't. Um, so that's an example of a case where people have different understandings about really what medicine is and what its role is in life, and where probably the sort of the official position of the medical establishment is actually probably at odds with the majority position in the population and with the majority of, of practicing general practitioners at any rate. Why might thinking about these highly abstract questions about medicine actually be useful for medicine? It will be, I think, useful for medicine to avoid, I think, unnecessary and sometimes, as I say, quite acrimonious disputes. And it's also useful because ultimately it's not good for medicine to have a misconception of itself or to be wrong about its own goals or to be out of tune also with what society wants of it, or to find itself getting caught up in internal disputes which you know, aren't resolved. And as with many of these things, it's actually often easier to resolve potential disputes if you take them out of the context, which is where I think philosophy can usefully play a role, and you debate them in a less emotionally charged, professionally charged setting where people's careers aren't on the line. It's more of an abstract question, and then you come to the abstract answer, and then you're able to, to, to bring that back that's the, the key part, is one has to then bring that back to the practical world. So at some point, if medicine were to change to a great enough extent, we might not want to call what evolves from our current mainstream medical tradition medicine anymore. What would a kind of post 
scientific post mainstream medicine um, look like? What how how different would it have to be before we give up the term medicine? I don't think the actual content of medicine makes much difference to whether we call it medicine. What determines whether we call it medicine is whether it has certain goals, whether the people who do it have certain skills, and when those things you know, when those things are in common, uh, we're going to call the thing medicine. And when the notion of health and disease is recognizably in common uh, as well, we're going to call anything like that medicine. So even if medicine changes dramatically, which, which you know, it, it probably will, given that it has, we're still going to call it medicine if the goal is to make people better and if it achieves that, that or at least providing understanding and providing predictions. And if the things that it's making people better from are recognizably diseases and the things that it's aiming for are recognizably health, then I think we're going to be still calling it medicine. Where it gets complicated, as I I was suggesting before, is that it may be that medicine is increasingly challenging its own notions of disease and its own role in relation to disease by actually just seeing itself as assisting people living life more generally as opposed to curing specific diseases. I suspect that's probably where we're going to see the most distortion of what we currently understand uh, as medicine. And with that, I'll call this interview to a close. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much. That was Jonathan Fuller, who has a doctorate degree in philosophy of medicine and is also a graduating medical student at the University of Toronto. He was speaking with Alex Broadbent, professor of philosophy at the University of Johannesburg. For more podcasts in the Philosophers on Medicine series, stay tuned to CMAJ Podcasts. You can also visit Jonathan Fuller's website, philosophersonmedicine.com. To read the Humanities article by Alex Broadbent, visit cmaj.ca. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to CMAJ Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. While you're there, You can browse and listen to our many past episodes, and you can leave us a rating. I'm Dr. Dorian Deschauer, Associate Editor for CMAJ. Thank you for listening. Mm